Hello, I'm Eleanor Mesnord, and today we will talk about syphilis. Apparently, significant research has been done to determine the origin of this ancient infection. Some experts support that syphilis originated in the New World, the Americas, because the first cases in Europe were reported after the Christopher Columbus crew returned from their expeditions. On the other hand, some people defend the idea of the origin of syphilis in the Old World. Whatever its origin, syphilis is still affecting thousands of people worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, syphilis in pregnancy is still the second leading cause of stillbirth globally and also result, results in prematurity, low birth weight, neonatal death, and infections in newborns. The cases in the U.S. are not as high as in other countries, but certain areas have cases that are higher than the national or state average, such as the case of Kern County. Our incidence of syphilis is higher than the national average. That's why it's important for us to screen for this disease. RPR is the most common test to screen for syphilis. However, it may not be completely accurate. RPR is a non-triponemal test that can cause false positive results. On December 20, 2021, the CDC released a letter announcing an FDA alert regarding a high RPR false positive rate when done with the BioRad Laboratories Bioplex 2200 syphilis total and RPR kit. You may not know which kit was used for the test, but you need to know what to do with a positive RPR. Some conditions associated with false positive RPR include COVID-19 vaccines, tuberculosis, endocarditis, rickettsial disease, recent immunizations, specifically smallpox, and pregnancy. In case of RPR positive, you need to confirm syphilis with a triple nemo test, which it will be more reliable regardless of the possibility of a false positive RPR. We still need to continue to scream because syphilis continues to increase in our nation. I hope you enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rio Bravo Q Week Podcast, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California, a UCLA-affiliated program sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Visit your primary care provider for additional medical advice. Welcome to another episode of Rio Bravo Q Week. I'm very happy today because I have another guest who is going to be talking about a very important topic because uh, it's important for our community here in Bakersfield. I'm very happy that she prepared for this presentation. So I have here Dr. Carol Avila. Welcome, Dr. Avila. How are you? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited for this episode. Dr. Avila, uh, can you introduce yourself? Sure thing. So, um, so I grew up in Venezuela and I did med school in my country. I was working there for a few years. I did a, a specialty in occupational health. And then I decided to join the uh, USMLE journey. And I moved to the States like five years ago. And then uh, I was lucky enough to match at Rio Bravo Family Medicine Program. Great. So and we're, great. we're very happy to have you here, Dr. Avila. And uh, well, you will be the second Venezuelan in a row 
because last week we had Dr. Urso talk about pregnancy. So I'm very happy that you're here to talk about this topic today. So what are we going to be talking today? So today we're going to be talking about syphilis. Hey, syphilis. Syphilis is a disease that has been in humanity for many years, for many centuries. And I'm glad that we're going to be talking about that because... Believe it or not, it's still around and it's uh, still thriving, it's still affecting humanity <laughs> everywhere. So let's talk about syphilis then. Uh, wh why do you pick this topic, Dr. Avila? Yeah, I think syphilis is a battle that we haven't uh, won yet. And uh, I had this amazing opportunity to do inpatient pediatrics as my first rotation at a local hospital. And I found myself treating patients with neonatal syphilis quite often. So I was curious to know what is happening in this area, Bakersfield, that makes syphilis seems to me a very frequent diagnosis of admissions in PEDS. And especially because newborns are impacted by a preventable disease. Yeah, I can tell that that's very sad when you see a newborn with uh, congenital syphilis. I haven't seen it yet myself, but uh, I, I feel like it's... It's sad because it's something that is preventable. So I'm glad that we're going to be talking about that today. So syphilis. So tell us what you found about syphilis. What you found out? Yeah, so that took me to the epidemiology of syphilis. And the latest update available in the CDC website is the 2020 surveillance report of nationally notifiable STDs, which showed that in 2020, the national rate of syphilis was about 40 per 100,000 population, all the stages, syphilis in all the stages. So that's 40 people in 100,000 people. Wow, that's a lot. Exactly. And the rate of national congenital syphilis was about 57 cases per 100,000 live births. Yeah, I'm not aware of the epidemiology in other countries, but to me that sounds that sounds a lot. Yeah, it is. And during the same year, 2020, California was ranked number seven for primary and secondary syphilis with a rate of 19.5 per 100,000 population. Okay, so in summary, we have 40 cases of all stages of syphilis in 100,000 people. Then we have congenital syphilis, 57 cases per 100 life, 100,000 live births. And then in California, it's about 19 per 100,000 population. Okay. So what do you think was the stage, the state that was number one in the U.S. with the most syphilis cases in 2020? Oh, I don't remember. I was so focused in California. Okay. Do you remember? Well, it was Nevada. Oh, no, <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> no surprise there, right? <laughs> we talked about the nation and then the California. So what is the local data that you found? So for uh, the 2019 data, the current county public health services department reported that a total of 1,520 cases of syphilis, all the stages, were diagnosed uh, during that year. It's about four cases per day. It's important to mention that there was a spike in the number of cases of syphilis by 86% compared to the prior year, 2017. And I was reading an article also in the Bakersfield, Californian, and then they mentioned that um, the cases of syphilis and STDs in general, they dropped in the 2020, but they think it's because it was underreported because we were so focused on, on COVID-19 that many of these STDs were not reported. But, um, you know, it's important to know that uh, it's very common in, the, in Kern County. So 1,500 cases in one year, that's a lot. Tell us more about the most recent uh, data in 2020. In 2020, 250 cases of congenital syphilis per 100,000 live births were reported in Kern County, significantly higher than the national average. 
mentioned a vote like it was 40 cases per 100,000 residents. 250 cases congenital syphilis incurred per 100,000. So that's a lot. 250. Yeah. 250, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what else do you find? All right. And then for primary and secondary syphilis, current county was 62% higher than the state average, with almost 25 per 100,000 population, and was ranked number six in the state of California. And then with the number one again, the number one county in California was San Francisco. San Francisco, always. <laughs> <laughs> so the rate of syphilis and congenital syphilis in Kern County is higher than the state in national average. So that's what you're telling me. Exactly. So, well, let's talk about syphilis then. Let's, let's talk about the specific disease that we are investigating today. So tell us what is syphilis, Dr. Avila. All right. So syphilis is a systemic bacterial infection caused by the gram-negative spirochete Tryponema pallidum. So that's pyrochid has been in humanity, like I said before, Forever. for many <laughs> centuries. So, and then it's a sexually transmitted disease. We know that, mm -hmm. uh, but there is many other ways to uh, to get syphilis too, right? Exactly. So syphilis can also be spread uh, during uh, or transmitted during pregnancy, resulting in congenital syphilis. Also, passing on syphilis via blood transfusions used to be very common, but is now rare thanks to blood supply screening. Syphilis transmission also is also possible through through organ donors, and then with uh, which is nowadays very very rare. And before healthcare providers were wearing gloves as a standard precaution, it was common for syphilis lesions to appear in their fingers and nose. Mm. Can be also transmitted through a uh, close uh, and repetitive con contact with mucosal or skin lesions of people with active active syphilis. Yeah, I, I, I think it's something that we have to be aware of. You know, a rash, any rash can be secondary syphilis. Sometimes I, you know, I feel guilty for that, but sometimes I don't wear gloves all the time when I'm examining the skin, especially if it's a patient that I know. But uh, one day I was examining a patient in the hospital uh, without my gloves and I got to know that it was a secondary syphilis case. So those lesions can be contagious too, and just be aware of that. Syphilis is also a big pretender. I remember that when I was exactly. in, in medical school, like anything can be syphilis. One anecdote that I have is a patient who was losing her hair, you know, it was going bald, and uh, it got referred to a dermatologist, and the dermatologist was sharp enough to do an RPR, and it was syphilis. Wow. So remember to do syphilis all the time, <laughs> yeah. to test for syphilis in, in many patients that you are having different rashes or different skin manifestations. So let's talk about the classification of syphilis, Dr. Avila. Sure thing. So uh, syphilis is divided into a stage, uh, into a stages based on clinical findings, primary, secondary, and tertiary. The latent phase occurs between secondary and tertiary. Patients pass through secondary syphilis and may not realize it. And the most contagious stages are primary and secondary. And syphilis could be still contagious in early latent phase. So another classification that I found was um, it can be classified as early or late syphilis. So the early will be the primary, secondary, and early latent that you mentioned. So and then the late syphilis will be the tertiary and the late latent syphilis. And then neurosyphilis, important to know, it can happen in any of the stages of uh, syphilis. So that's something that we have to be mindful of too. 
So let's talk about the primary syphilis, the secondary and tertiary to see what are the most common symptoms. So the primary syphilis usually happens three weeks after the initial contact with the spirochete, but it can also be seen after 90 days. The bacteria will destroy the local tissue and that is when we see the syphilitic chancre, which is a painless, well-demarcated lesion that, uh, with firm, indurated margins. It might go unnoticed and without treatment, the bacteria will spread to the bloodstream and the infection will progress to the secondary stage. Okay, the secondary stage is when the patient can have a wide variety of signs and symptoms, but general constitutional symptoms are common, like fever, um, general malaise, but it's characterized by a body-wide rash, which is prominent in the palms and soles. This rash can be macular, papular, or postular, and patients can also develop patches in oral mucosa and tongue, and as well as word-like sores called condyloma lata, which I'm happy to say that I saw in the hospital too. <laughs> All right, and then we have tertiary syphilis. And before the antibiotics were invented, um, 15 to 30 years uh, after the initial infection, patients could develop any of the three forms of tertiary syphilis. Cardiovascular syphilis, which involves the ascendant aorta, thoracic aorta, and patients might present with aortic aneurysm and left heart failure. Comatose syphilis is uncommon. It is especially important in patients co-infected with HIV. Gunmans can appear in the skin, bones, and internal organs. And central nervous system syphilis presents with general paresis, tabis dorsalis, meningitis, heating, vision loss, and dementia. Okay, I just had this idea. You know, we have so many patients with left heart failure. I wonder if we should be doing more RPRs to those patients. You know? Yeah, probably we should Because I know, I know, you know that we live in a population that has been underserved medically. Many of them could be tertiary syphilis. And so let's talk about latent syphilis now. So latent syphilis occurs when the patient has a positive serology for T pallidum and the patient has no symptoms at all. So the latent syphilis can also be divided into early latent. That's when the primary infection happened within the previous 12 months. And late, syphilis, late latent syphilis, when the primary stage happened uh, more than 12 months ago. So differentiating early and late latent syphilis is important because the treatment will be different. All right, and then finally we, got, we have congenital syphilis. The infection occurs during pregnancy and it can cause miscarriage, stillbirth, or birth defects like nasal cartilage destruction and frontal bossing, among others. Yeah, I just remember this sign in newborns, yeah, the, the, the snuffles, right? That exactly. When they have the snuffles, they can, they can have syphilis. Screening and diagnostic testing in syphilis, let's review what's recommended there because that's our, our main goal in primary care is to detect those cases early enough to start treating them. So what do you know about the USPSDF recommendations? Sure, so the USPSDF recommends screening asymptomatic non-pregnant adults and adolescents at increased risk for syphilis infection. It's a grade A recommendation. The USPSDF also recommends early screening for syphilis infection in all pregnant women as early as possible when they first present to care. Okay, so and then you test the pregnant woman at the beginning when you encounter the patient for the first time. But also, the CDC and the joint guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics, AAP, and the ACOG, they endorse repeat screening, 
you know, especially in women who are at risk for syphilis infection. And that screening, that repeat screening can happen early in the third trimester. It's about 28 weeks of gestation. And again, at delivery, especially at delivery, if you have a patient who has not had any prenatal care, remember to test those patients when they come to the hospital to deliver the baby. Exactly. So, uh, also, the USPSTF mentioned that high-risk patients include men who have men, uh, sex with men and men and women living with HIV. Also, people with a history of incarceration, a history of commer commercial sex work, certain racial ethnic groups like African-Americans or Hispanic population, and being a male younger than 29 years. All those people are at risk and we sh it should be, they should be screened. So initial screening should be done with a non-triponemal test like RPR or VDRL. And if that non-triponemal test is positive, then a triponemal test like a TP, FPA or FTA ABS, it should be the next step. And then the non-triponemal tests can be positive in patients with pre-existing conditions. Okay, let's just remember that not everybody who has RPR positive has syphilis. RPR positive can be present in patients with collagen vascular diseases, pregnancy, malignancy, tuberculosis, and many other conditions. So when you see an RPR positive, don't assume automatically that it's syphilis. Usually the test, the triponemal test is a reflex test. That means that you're going to get the non-triponemal positive and then you're going to get the triponemal test, right, in the same result. Very important. Don't start treatment with an RPR positive. You got to confirm it. And then the USPSTF also refers to the reverse sequence screening algorithm, where we perform a triponemal test first in those patients that could be missed after a non-triponemal test. For example, people who are homeless also in non-traditional and non-clinical settings. A triponemal test will be performed by a non-triponemal test. So you do the triponemal test first and then the non-triponemal test after. Yeah, sorry, uh, it will be followed by a non-triponemal test. However, the, there is no evidence of accuracy of this screening algorithm. So it is an open field for researchers. Remember that patients who are positive um, once they might be positive for life or they will be positive for life. You know, the antibodies are always going to be there in their, in their blood. So even if they, they have treatment of the disease and in any stage, they'll, they'll still have positive antibodies. Exactly. And then uh, for treatment, we have uh, one word. The key word will be penicillin. That's the treatment of choice. Additionally, very patient-diagnosed uh, patient With primary and secondary syphilis should be every patient diagnosed with primary and secondary syphilis should be tested for HIV at the time of diagnosis. And I would say a test for all the all other STDs that you know. Exactly. You know because uh, that's a risk to have other STDs: gonorrhea, chlamydia, um, HIV, of course. And um, I think it's important to do those tests at the time of diagnosis of syphilis. So let's talk about the treatment, the specific treatments for uh, syphilis when we diagnose Let's say we have the RPR positive, we have the triponemal confirmation, and then we're going to start treating this patient. So we determined that this patient had a primary, secondary, or early latent, early latent syphilis. So how are we going to treat those patients, Dr. Avila? All right. So for primary, secondary, and early latent syphilis, we are going to treat the patient with benzatine penicillin G. 2.4 million unit IM in a single dose. For children and infant age more than one month of age, benzatine penicillin G, 
50,000 units per kilogram body weight. I am up to 2.4 million units in a single dose. And remember, for children more than one month with primary or secondary syphilis, they should be evaluated for sexual abuse. That's important. You know, that, that's crazy. That's only a single dose. That's all they need. A exactly. single dose of, tri um, of penicillin. So when you have primary, secondary, and early latent syphilis. So now in, in pregnancy. So in pregnancy, you know, the treatment is still penicillin G. If, the, if there is a penicillin allergy in a pregnant woman, then desensitization should be done in a controlled setting. That means that you have to have the patient in a place where you can perform CPR, where you can have any other treatment that is might be needed for anaphylaxis. So in non-pregnant non -pregnant women with penicillin allergy, alternatives are doxycycline, 100 milligrams BID for 14 days, or cetriaxone, one gram daily IM or IV for 10 to 14 days. So those are in the cases that you have penicillin allergy in a patient who is not pregnant. For primary and secondary syphilis, remember that clinical and serological evaluation should be done at 6, 12, and 12 months after treatment. All right, and then we have late, 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 latent syphilis and tertiary. So for those stages, we are going to treat the patient with Vensatin Penicillin G, 7.2 million units total, which is administered as 2.4 million units IM every week for three doses. So when you diagnose a late, uh, latent syphilis, you always have to assume that there is a late latent syphilis. In most patients, that's true. In most cases, it's going to be a late latent syphilis. So you might decide to treat all your patients with late latent syphilis with this treatment that you just mentioned, Dr. Avila. That's very important, unless you uh, diagnose a patient with primary uh, or secondary syphilis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So give three doses. You know, it's not going to hurt the patient. And I think it's very, uh, it's better for the patient to be treated completely. So you follow up with a quantitative non-triponemal serologic test at 6, 12, and 24 months after the treatment and compare this titer with the initial titer at the time of diagnosis. And a special recommendation that I give to everyone is check RPR titers at the time of treatment of latent syphilis. So when the patient comes to the clinic to get the first shot, you'll check the titer that day because sometimes the time between the first test, the initial test, and the time of treatment, it can be very long. So, and it can be very different, the titer. So check the titer the same day when you give the penicillin shot. Yeah, the treatment is so easy during primary and secondary syphilis, so don't miss it. So neuro, neurosyphilis, uh, CSF examination is recommended if neurologic findings are present. And remember that neurosyphilis can present at any stage of the syphilis, even if you have a patient with a genital lesion, you have a rash, or you have tertiary syphilis, you can still have neurosyphilis. And neurosyphilis, if it's confirmed, it will require penicillin IV, you know, and that's for about 10 to 14 days, and the treatment is every four hours. So it's a longer treatment, and also you can you can treat the patient with ceftriaxone for 14 days. But I would recommend if you, re if you diagnose a patient with neurosyphilis, just get guidance from ID, because you're gonna need uh, treatment for a longer time. But I think neurosyphilis is a long, if a very long uh, topic, and we will talk about it in another episode. But it was an excellent introduction about syphilis. So thank you so much, Dr. Avila, for being here. Remember, guys, screen your patients, treat them appropriately. And I hope to have you back, Dr. Avila, another day for another episode. Definitely. So please don't miss any diagnosis of syphilis in any patient. Uh, so I'm happy to be here and looking forward to the next episode. 
we conclude episode number 112, Syphilis Basics. Dr. Avila raised our awareness of syphilis in our community and the importance of screening all adolescents and adults at risk of infection, and especially all pregnant persons during their first prenatal visit or as early as possible. Timely treatment with penicillin is important to prevent late complications of syphilis and especially to prevent the devastating consequences of congenital syphilis. This week, we thank Hector Ariasa, Carol Avila, Eleanor Mesnard, Audio edition by Adrian Silva. Even without trying, every night you go to bed a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at riobravoqweek at clinicasierravista.org or visit our website, riobravofmrp.org slash qweek. See you next week.